If you will, turn back in your Bibles, whatever copy of God's Word you have, to the book of Hebrews first. Hebrews chapter 12. Hebrews 12. Just a brief commentary by the author there before we go back to our journey in the book of Exodus. The title of our message today is Arise, Move, and Go. These 10 words will do. These 10 words will do. I talked to you last week about how to be careful in the reading of Scripture. And sometimes we may capture it and we may not. There's a lot of clouds in our head, let alone the ones outside of our head. And it takes a lot of discipline to stop talking while God is talking. And most people don't. Even when they read their Bible, they don't. And this is why you don't get as much out of it. But I'm going to be talking about a subtitle that I didn't write down that I'm hoping will come home in a moment. I do want the main subtitle to come home. These 10 words will do. These 10 words will do. And I told you last week that what happened in the Exodus account in chapter 20, we are at Hebrews chapter 12, verse 18, please, um, was that God spoke directly to the nation of Israel for the first time for the first time. And we're going to discover that this is the last time that God is going to speak to them directly. That was the first time that God spoke to a nation as a whole directly. And that was the last time. God has never spoken to another nation like he did to Israel. And uh, that's important for Israel. They know this was a major identity marker for who they were. But the account renders for us because we're making our way to God's house, his sanctuary, his kingdom, his home with the children of Israel through these 42 encampments. We've got about seven more encampments to look at. And the writer to the Hebrew people in the New Testament is actually reflecting upon this event. As you might know, the writer himself is a Hebrew. And the people to whom he's writing are Hebrews. Now, they are presently Christians, but they're Hebrews. So the book is called what? The Hebrews. And what he's doing is taking them back into history, which is the work of the Holy Ghost. You remember, the Holy Ghost takes the past and brings it to the future, helps us map it on the future, on the present rather, so we can see the future. No present relevance, no future optimism. This is why a lot of people don't have any hope today, because they don't know how to look back at the God who called them by his mercy. And they don't know how to find in God the promises that are yes and amen in Jesus Christ to God's glory through us. But the child of God is called to walk by what? Right. And I'm going to continue to drill that home until you understand that, first of all, faith is a gift from God and it shouldn't be played with. And when people play with it, they lose the benefits thereof. Faith is the only prism by which you can look forward confidently, knowing that God puts his stamp of approval on the future. When you don't have God's stamp of approval on the future, you might be optimistic, but it's in vain. Until God tells you what tomorrow will be or next week or the year thereafter, you and I are simply hypothesizing in vain. 
And so the Hebrew people here in Hebrews chapter 12 are being told something that's extremely important. I'm going to lay a bit of a foundation. Then I'm going to expose to you what is happening in Exodus chapter 20, which I hope will bring some understanding as to what you and I are doing right now. The Hebrew writer says, listen, you have not come unto the mount that might be touched. Now he's talking to people who did experience that mount some 500 years earlier. In fact, no, 1,500 years earlier. The Hebrew people that he's talking to now are not at Mount Sinai. They are at Mount Zion. And he's telling them that for a reason. Mount Sinai and Mount Zion are two different places. Mount Sinai is a place where a lot of people want to go, but that's because they don't have any good sense at all. Mount Zion is the place that God promises for his people, for his elect, for his sheep, the people that he has chosen as his own inheritance. He says, you are not come to Mount Mount Zion, to that mountain that can be touched and that burned with fire, nor unto blackness and darkness and tempest. Verse 19, and the sound of a trumpet and the voice of words and the voice of what? Words, which voice they what? They heard and they entreated Moses that the word should not be spoken to them anymore. See how difference emphasis makes when you read it? Do you see how big the difference is? You guys can make your way back to Exodus 20 because I want you to plop your lap on it as we look at the narrative. What I know about the New Testament writers in relationship to the Old Testament writers is that they were both anointed, led and guided by the same mediator. That is the Holy Spirit. So what the writer in the New Testament is saying is absolutely in accordance with what happened in the Old Testament. And what happened in the Old Testament is going to be very instructive to you. And to me, as we begin to consider arise, move and go, these 10 words will do. If I were to put another subcategory here, that would be more of an explanation of this point. It would be this. God is gracious to give us a mediator. I need you to hear that because we do church, but I need you to hear it. God is gracious to give us a mediator. Because the act of mediation is itself gracious. God is gracious to give you and give me a mediator because the act of mediation is itself gracious. God gives us mediators because mediators are needed to stand between a holy God and a sinful people. And so God is gracious when mediation takes place, when somebody can stand between you and that which is holy and make sure that which is holy does not utterly annihilate that which is unholy. God is gracious when he gives us mediators because mediation is itself intrinsically by nature an act of grace. 
God is gracious when he gives us mediators. Now, I want to extrapolate that across a whole sort of plethora of events and experiences in your life so it can come home. God is gracious not to choose to talk to you and me directly. God is gracious in that he has always provided someone to stand between you and him. God does that in every aspect of your life. And this is so important to get because people will talk like they know God personally, like they sit at God's elbow and God speaks to them. And, and you know, there's nothing in between them and God. There's always something in between you and God if you're breathing in and breathing out. There's always someone or something between you and a holy God. Did that make some sense? Very important for you and I to get that. The events before us is an advocation for the doctrine and practice of mediation. The Hebrew writer gives this group of people a whole set of components that I want us to look at because when I looked at them myself, we're about to look at them again in Exodus 20, um, 18 and 19. If you'll keep that on the screen, please. I want us to look at that because what the context teaches me is how dangerous it is to have to meet God by yourself without a mediator. So this is what your Bible will teach you. How dangerous it is to meet God all by yourself without someone standing in the gap. Think about a child being left to themselves. Isn't that what the Bible says? A child left to himself will bring his parents to shame. That's because the child needs mediation from the time the child comes into the world. He needs someone to step in the gap, to feed him, to nurture him, to guide him, to burp him, change him, help him develop into what he or she is going to be. Leave a child alone, they'll die. You leave a human being without all of the necessary culturing, cultivating elements to become a dignified adult and they'll grow up and become an animal because it's in their nature. You leave human beings as a group of people without a mediating set of moral and ethical principles by which they know how to have boundaries between each other then those people are going to be wild and violent and they're going to be sinful and they're going to create all kind of havoc in society. You leave a society without the gracious mediation of laws and rules and standards. Then let people start driving all over the highway with no stop signs and no lights and any of that. And tell me what you're going to have in about 30 minutes. Chaos. You let this world go on without the hierarchy of mediation across every aspect of life and men and women could never tolerate coexisting together. Am I making some sense? You and I need a mediator. We need someone to go between us and help us make it to where we're going. The text tells us something very interesting that I want to work through under these 10 words will do. It's really interesting because as I told you last week, ha dibarim is the Hebrew phrase for and God spake all these what? Words. Hebrews chapter 20 verse 1. And God spake all these words. And what the text tells us is that God gave 
a explanation of who he was. I am the Lord your God, which brought you out of the land of Egypt. Not that they didn't know it, but he reminded them like parents do to their kids. You know who I am, boy? Do you know who I am? Do I have to remind you who I am? Parents do that, right? Because our kids will lose their mind for a moment and forgot who the mediator was. And, and really, mom and dad are mediators. And sometimes siblings are mediators. Ah, you have a lot of mediators in your life that you really need to give God thanks for. Amen. Yeah, you do. Yeah, you do. See, and this is one of the reasons why people's lives are so poverty stricken, because they disregard the mediatorial work that God gives you in order for you to make it from the womb to the tomb. God gives you all kind of mediators. Are y'all hearing what I'm saying? Right. He gives you all kind of mediators. And here God himself now is calling the people of God to himself. And what he told Moses was, I'm going to speak to them in your presence, Moses. And God began to speak. Y'all know the commandments. You ought to know them by now, right? He laid them out in verses 1 through verse 17 where he closed out. And you shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife. You shall not covet your your neighbor's ass or your ox or anything that is your neighbor's. You guys remember that? Now, who was talking? God was. For the first time in human history, God was talking to people without a mediator. And as God was closing out on that commandment, the next thing you know, the people start talking. Look at verse 18 and 19. Let me see if I can help you. And it came to, uh, and all the people saw the thunderings and the lightnings and the noise of the trumpet. And all the people saw the thunderings and the lightning and the noise of the trumpet and the mountain smoking. And when the people saw it, they ran. They didn't walk, they ran. And all the people, when they saw the thunderings and the lightning and the noise of the trumpet and the mountain smoking, and when the people what? Saw it. I just want you to capture that. That term in the Hebrew means they fixed their sight on it in a kind of locked in, mesmerized way. Do you know what that means? They could hardly hear from God for all of that stuff that was going on around them. Put your feet in their shoes. You're at the mountain, at the bottom of the mountain. It's strapped with yellow tape. You're told to stay back. It's a mountain that you don't touch. It's thick clouds all around you. There's thunder everywhere and lightning flashing massively. And the trumpet is blowing continuously. And God is talking and the earth is quaking. I'd have been gone. I'm not even beginning my message. I'm trying to help you understand what you get when you draw near to God without a mediator. This is what you get. When you draw near to God without a mediator and you're not qualified to draw near to God, this is what you get. You get a God who the Hebrew writer said is a consuming fire. See, y'all can play church if you want to. I'm here to tell you If God doesn't call us near, we shouldn't come. 
And if God doesn't call us near via a mediator, woe unto us. So I want you to capture that the surrounding environment was so difficult for them that they could no longer hear God. The surrounding environment was too difficult for them to focus on what they heard. Already, we have a problem as human beings with hearing right. We don't hear well. You know that. That was a big part of your education to your children. Child, did you hear me? Right? Child, did you hear me? And I'm using that kind of uh, facetious uh, anecdote to help you understand that God is dealing with his children the same way. And that you and I with God are exactly the same way. That the way our kids are with us who don't know how to hear us and can't understand mediation, so are we with God. And in times when our kids should hear our words, they are distracted by the surrounding environment, as are we. I'm going to have to stay right here for the rest of my message until you get it. Because see, this is the problem when we don't study our Bibles carefully. You can you can look at all of these verses and all of these words and all of these constructions in that verse and totally miss it. Am I making some sense? Totally miss it. They could not handle the environment. The environment was too much. That's what the Hebrew writer told us, didn't he? They could not endure the voice nor the environment. Moses said, according to the Hebrew writer, it was so terrible that he quaked in his boots. Now, Moses is the mediator, and he up here doing this. And I said to myself, because I know the Bible is not a myth, and I know it's not a fable, and I know it doesn't take the holy things of God and allows me to kind of turn them into caricatures. That was an awful day. That was an awful day of existential threat from the heavens above to the earth beneath. The ground was quaking. Are you chilling when the ground quakes? The thunder is so loud and boisterous. And I told you, unless you're from Texas, you don't know nothing about thunder. The clouds are so thick and so dense. And the trumpet is so loud, continuously loud. And then there are flashes of lightning just flashing out everywhere, everywhere. You cool with the lightning flashing? See what I'm getting at? And then... You got to sit there and listen to God talk. That's a lot, isn't it? Is that a lot? That's a whole lot. And and 10 minutes earlier, the folks was running up the hill because they wanted to get a look at God. Remember that? Now they're running from God. I'm trying to establish the picture to show you how we paint the wrong picture of God. We paint the wrong picture of ourselves. And when we discover we learn a little bit of the truth about God, we don't want to have nothing to do with him. Men and women pretend that they want God, but they don't. The text is clear. Listen to what it says. And they removed and they did what? Stood afar off. Literally in the original language, it means they took off for the hills as if they were a group of fugitives being uh, attempted to be arrested by an officer. They're running from God because the event was too much for them. Point number one, then the awful day that God spoke. See it? 
the awful day that God spoke. Under my subpoints, subpoints A and B, I talk about the sevenfold experience. Now, I just shared that with you. I just shared that with you over in verse 16 of chapter 19 through uh, chapter 19, verse 16 through 19. Here's what we got in chapter 19, where God is speaking to Moses. He says, and it came to pass on the third day in the morning that there were what? Thunderings and what? Lightnings and what? A thick cloud upon the mount. That means the cloud was so thick, no one could see into it at all about what was going on. Now, we know there was a purpose for that. That was to keep the children of Israel from penetrating up into the mountain. Clouds can be thick, can't they? They can be protruding. They can be dark. And the thick cloud upon the mount and the voice of the trumpet. Imagine that. This is a chauffeur horn. Imagine the chauffeur horn blowing while the earth is quaking, while the thick cloud is descending, while the lightning is flashing. Awesome, isn't it? While the lightning is flashing, this is exactly what's going on. Notice it says the trumpet is what? Exceedingly loud. So it's not a comfortable, this is not an alto saxophone playing the jazz. This is loud, okay? It's loud and problematic. Exceedingly loud so that all the people that were in the camp, what? That's 1.4 million people all what? Trembling with Moses. With Moses, this is how God shows up when he wants to talk, particularly if you don't have a mediator. I get it. I get it. You don't play with the real and true and living God. I totally get it. I totally get it. If a man says they know God and I listen to them and I recognize that they have no reverence and no godly fear, they do not know God. That's the last verse of Hebrews chapter 12. Let us have grace by which we might serve God with reverence and godly fear. Now, I know God hasn't talked to you. If you're arrogant, if you're presumptuous, if you are joking, if you are uh, using a caricature about God, here's what I know. You have never heard God's voice. A man or a woman that ever meets God will understand God is not to be played with. So a lot of people are perpetrating frauds about knowing God. They've never heard his voice. I'm going to get into that in a moment. These people did. They heard God's voice. God spoke. And may I say, it was the Lord Jesus. And you don't have to shout about that. I know it is. We're going to unpack that. Okay? Because the voice of the Father is always the Son. It's always the Son. God is speaking through his Son to every man. And notice verse 18, notice verse 18, Exodus 19, 18. Notice what it says. And the Mount Sinai was all together in a smoke because the Lord descended upon it in what? The Lord Jesus descended upon it in fire. This is the same Lord that was in the burning bush that met Moses some years earlier. Do you understand that? He's the one talking, only now he's much more magnanimous and much more glorious as he will be when he returns again in flaming fire, taking vengeance on all those that know him, know not him and that do not obey the gospel. That's the Jesus coming back. So when y'all hear folk talking about Jesus today in this kind of little Lilliputian way, in this small Jesus way, in this weak, whippy Jesus way, they have never met the king of glory. They have never 
met the Lord Jesus by the power of his spirit in the depths of their heart. Jesus is altogether holy, holy, holy. That's why we sang it. That's why we sang it. Because the cherubim sang it. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. Let all flesh keep silence before him. See, y'all don't hear this kind of preaching anywhere today because the Lord God has removed himself from humanity and have given them over to vanity today. No one is operating out of godly fear hardly in our communities today. It's all a joke. It's all fun. It's all games until God shows up the way God really is and people die. Right. So the framing that I'm trying to give you is something that happened one time and it did not happen ever again. The only other hint that you and I got of God speaking was when Jesus was baptized and the heavens opened up and God did not come down in the person of Jesus. He spoke from heaven. This is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. It would do you good to listen to him. But see, I'm already getting into my third point about mediation. This is why I say you and I need a mediator. We need someone between us and a true God. See, God ain't going to change his nature. And yours and mine, it's already messed up. And the problem is, if a holy God draws near to an unholy person, you and I are going to lose. You will never stand before God on your own. You will never make it. You will never. In fact, the moment that God draws near to you, you're running from him without a mediator. Please understand that. This is why it happens all the time as the word becomes more poignant and more clear. Let me see if I can make that true. The seven experiences that I told you about was the fact that God came in a cloud. He ascended with smoke. He descended with fire. He descended with lightnings and thunder. And Mount Sinai was all together on the smoke because the Lord descended upon it in fire. And the smoke thereof ascended as the smoke of a furnace. Now that's going up into heaven. Boy, that's a fire. Is that a fire? It's going up into heaven. Everything around those people felt like judgment day. You hear me? There was nothing bright, nothing sunny, nothing calm, nothing placid, nothing melodic, nothing joyful. And I can tell you what God wanted them to do. He wanted them to understand that he wasn't to be played with. You get that here in a moment. Look at the way the verse uh, 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 unpacks itself. Exodus 19, verse 19. And when the voice of the trumpet sounded loud and waxed louder and louder, Moses spake and God answered him by a what? There it is. There it is. Amazing. So in point number one, the awful day that God spoke, this sevenfold experience of stuff that if it happened today, you would not think that the world has ended. Subpoint B, and then God gave a prohibition, didn't he? Do not touch it. Look at verse 21 of Exodus 19. Verse 21 of Exodus 19, all over the place. Uh, Verse 21 of Exodus 19, let's just keep on the track. I'm trying to build a point. And the Lord said unto Moses, go down, go down, Moses, charge the people, lest they break through unto the Lord to do what? See what they're doing? They're already trying to get up the mountain. They're already trying to get up where Moses is. I'm going to talk about that in a moment. God didn't call them. 
God called Moses. There's a big difference. God did not call them up. He called Moses up. They were supposed to hold their position. And as Moses is going up, they're trying to break through the tape, trying to break through the rope. They want to get up there and see it too. And God said, you better go down and tell them. You better go down and tell them. And many of them perish if they do what? Gaze upon God. Do you see it? Very important. Verse 22. Verse 22. And the Lord said unto Moses, thus shall you say unto the children of Israel, you have seen that I have talked with you from heaven. It ought to be enough that God talks to us. You don't have to see him. See, they want to do more than hear from God. That's what they're asserting, right? Now, God hasn't started talking yet. But what God is saying to Moses is tell the children of Israel, I'm going to give them a privilege no human being has ever heard. God is going to talk to the whole nation himself. But no, they want more than that. What do they want to do? They want to see the God that they're talking to. And God has not allowed them to draw near. And so God is telling them, be very, be very careful be very careful what you are asking for here. Look at verse 23 and 24. Notice what it says. You shall not make with me gods of silver, neither shall you make unto you gods of gold. Do you see it? Can I tell you what God was doing right there? He was exposing the hearts of the people who are trying to run up into the smoke to see God because he knew that the moment that they get a gaze, a gaze. Now, the word gaze here in the Hebrew means to fix and actually assess and composite what it is that you're looking at. Because he knew that as soon as they got a picture, what were they going to do? Make an idol. You keeping up with me? Make an idol. Because that's all that our crazy minds love to do. Our imaginations are bent bent on making shapes and images. We want to confine God to our intellect. We want to confine God to our reasoning. We want to confine, confine God to our empirical science. And God is saying, no, they don't get to have that access to me. Look at verse 24. Verse 24. An altar of earth shall you make unto me. And shall sacrifice thereof the uh, burnt offering unto me. I'm, see, I'm, see, I'm, I'm in the wrong chapter. That should be chapter 19, uh, verse 24, because I'm still working through the prohibition. That should be chapter 19, sweetheart. Go back to chapter 19. There it is. And the Lord said unto him, Away, get thee down, and you shall come up, you and Aaron with you. But let not the priests and the people break through to come up to the Lord, lest he break forth on them. That's cold. All right, here's a little lesson before we even get into point number two. God's giving you and I insight into the priesthood. Are you ready? This particular priesthood is not qualified to fellowship with God. Did you notice the separation that happened? He told Moses to come up. He said, you can bring Aaron up, but the priest can't come up. That's because God knows our hearts. Do y'all know y'all Bible? Do you know how much foolishness the priests are about to get into in about nine chapters? We're getting ready to head to that time when the people are going to force Aaron to take the golden earrings and make a golden calf, an image of the Egyptian gods, and then call it Jehovah to take them back to the land of Egypt. Does God see them for who they are? And see, if God cares enough about you, he'll tell you to stay put. You don't get to draw near to God. Somebody else has to. Remember, our subtitle is what? 
The grace of a what? A mediator. The grace of a mediator. It's a good thing when God gives you a mediator, isn't it right? Right? And you don't have to usurp his place. You don't have to take his place. All you got to do is sit behind him and let him go between you and God. And that's what the text is teaching us here. It's very clear. Lest the Lord break forth upon them. Amazing. Again, the idea of gazing here means to capture a mental image. Capture a mental image of him. And notice what God is doing. God is saying, you cannot see me. All right, let's do a little education. We're getting ready to learn that God in his ontological nature is infinite. We're getting ready to learn that God encompasses heaven and earth. We're getting ready to learn that God sits on the circuit of the universe. That means God is omnipresent. That means he cannot be confined to a body. What that also means is if God is prohibiting a gaze, he's prohibiting a gaze of Jesus. Jesus is the revelation of the invisible God. Jesus is the visible Yahweh. You're not going to see the father anyway. Did that come home? Did that come home? It's important for you to know. He's saying, you don't get the gaze upon me. That tells me that I know who Moses was talking to. He was talking to my master, the Lord Jesus in all of his glory. Paul already taught you this. Jesus dwells in a light that no man can approach unto. Jesus sits at the right hand of the father. Jesus possesses all of the divine attributes. Jesus is himself the effulgence of God's glory. Do you do you remember that? I am the light of the world. Remember what happened when Jesus was on the Mount of Transfiguration and that glory showed up and it was so brilliant that the disciples had to bow themselves You got a little bit of a taste of it here. You got a little bit of a taste of it here. Remember, lo, I come in the volume of the book who was written up. Right. See, I see Jesus working with Moses. I see Jesus allowing Aaron to come up because Aaron is going to be the head of the mediatorial system called the priesthood. But I see the priest being told to stay down at the bottom because as the people are, so are the priests. Bunch of wicked men. See what I'm getting at? And we'll see that when we get to chapter 24, because all of them getting ready to go up to the mount and see the bottom of his feet, not his face, the bottom of his feet. So if you guys are getting anything out of what I'm saying, this is the ominous nature of drawing near to God. As you draw near to God, you got to come to God on God's terms. You cannot play games with God. And you and I are being taught from Genesis to Revelation, we cannot come apart from a mediator. That's what we're being taught. And the inference should be easy. You don't qualify. We don't qualify. We are rotten by nature. We're nothing but sinners. We're wood, hay, and stubble. To come into the presence of the ineffable bliss means for you and I to immediately burn up. That'll come home in a moment. This is the reason why God's first manifestation to Moses in Exodus 3 was a fire in a bush that did not consume. That bush represented Israel. It represents all of God's elect. You and I are nothing but bramble bushes where the spirit of God is pleased to dwell in us, where Jesus is pleased to dwell in us and not consume us. It's a mystery of grace. That's all it is, is a mystery of grace. 
Am I making some sense? It's a mystery of grace that you and I, limited, hellbound, sinners, rebellious against God, could be the habitation of the Holy Ghost. Where sometimes miracles come out of our mouth, at other times so much foolishness that shouldn't nobody ever pay us attention again. Am I making some sense? Right, right. I'm trying to help you understand your Bible better. See, God didn't annihilate them. He didn't kill them. He just told them there are going to be some ground rules here. You're not coming that close. Your heart is not right. Did that make some sense? You're not coming that close because your heart is not right. Now, you ought to be thankful that you're the only nation on the planet that God talks to directly from the top of a mountain. You heard me. You heard me. Is that beautiful or what? All right, point number two, let me keep moving because there's so much to talk about here. The inability to do what? Receive his word. The inability to receive his word. Again, I want to stay at my chapter, sis. Chapter 20, verse 18, I want to walk this through. I want you to hear it. And all the people saw the thunderings and the lightnings and the noise of the trumpet and the mountain smoking. And when the people saw it, when they saw it, they removed. I told you they ran like fugitives, like wanderers. That's that's what the word literally means. It's the same word for what they are about to do for 40 years. That's our term. They're getting ready to wander for 40 years. And and you know the reason why? Because they won't obey God. So you have here a little micro image of their rebellion and their inability to draw near to God because their heart is not right. They can't handle God talking from the top of the mountain. They certainly can handle being in his presence as Moses was. See what I'm getting at? And so now they're scattering like roaches. Only people from the hood know what I'm talking about. Once you cut the lights on. Scattering like roaches. Yes. Y'all know what that's like. The room looked clean, but you know it ain't clean. And all the people saw, they ran, they stood way off. Now, these are the people who a moment ago were trying to break through the ropes and come to the top of the mountain. Now, I want you to see why, because this is going to bring us to a portion of the study that is so remarkable to me in relationship to why even Christians today don't read their Bibles. Look at the next verse. And they said unto Moses, speak thou with us and we will what? Hear, but let not God speak with us lest we die. Ladies and gentlemen, the Lord gave nine words. He would have given 19 words. He would have given 29 words. God would have kept talking if they could have endured it. He would have kept talking so that they would have got all the revelation of all of God's will and all of God's purpose all by himself, had they been able to endure it. They interrupted God. Did y'all hear what I just stated? Right, God wasn't done. God didn't say, and now I'm finished. Did anybody read that anywhere? And now, No, they interrupted God, like church folk do. And they said, I'm going to dismiss myself because I don't want to hear from him. Did you hear what I just stated? That's what people do who cannot endure sound doctrine. They remove themselves. And now they need Moses. Now notice what they do with Moses. They tell Moses, Moses, listen, we'll listen to you. Now, how well did that go for the other nine encampments we just dealt with that? 
See what I'm getting at? I'm going to talk about Moses here in a moment because I need to. But understand that the people now having weighed the weight of God's word over against what Moses did in him mediating all those other encampments, they feel like they would much rather listen to Moses than to listen to God. Y'all see that? That's only human, isn't it? It's important for you to capture it. We will hear you, Moses, but let not God speak with us, lest we what? So true, so true. Point number two, the inability to receive his word. This is so absolutely clear. So point A, we cannot bear his voice. That's what they were saying. We cannot bear God's voice. Listen to Psalm 29, verses 4 through 9. Listen to Psalm 29, 4 through 9. The psalmist puts it this way. And does this not correspond with our text? Listen, the voice of the Lord is what? See it? They could not stand his voice. The voice of the Lord is powerful. The voice of the Lord is full of what? Look at, that, look at verse 5. I'm going through 9. The voice of the Lord does what? Breaks the cedars. That's powerful, isn't it? That's powerful. Listen, the Lord breaketh the cedars of Lebanon, verse, five, verse 6. He makes them also to skip like calves. Lebanon and Syria like a young unicorn. What is he saying? If you don't know, when God's voice shakes the land, all of the deer start running. They all start scattering for the hills. Here, theologians and scholars of that day, I'm talking about the prophets. They actually believe that God spoke in the thunder. God spoke in the lightning. God spoke in the earthquake and the moving of the earth. I actually believe that. Can I tell you why? And I won't be here long. There's no such thing as absolute natural law. We can make up all the rules we want to. We can make up all of the laws of physics, the Newtonian laws. All of those are markers. But what about what's behind it driving it? What's moving the earth to quake? What's moving the thunder and lightning? What's moving the clouds and the intelligibility that they engage in? Your scientists can't tell you that. Listen, if I had to, um, if I had to be judged on how many times the weatherman gets the weather wrong, I wouldn't have a job. Right, because they're all speculating. Now we're into a whole nother dimension with them manipulating the weather. We know that. But what I am saying is what they do. And this is mankind and his pathological capacity to lie to you. God will grant man the instrumental means of being able to actually observe and recognize patterns in creation. And they'll call that first causes. We say, sorry, that is not first cause. Those are instrumental means. The first cause is invisible. The Bible tells me we know that the things that are made are not made by the things that are seen, but by the things that are unseen. Even his eternal power and Godhead, meaning the way this world functions, there has to be a God behind it that's upholding it, governing it, allowing it to function the way that it does. It only makes sense. And so here the psalmist is laying out before us the power of God's voice as he speaks. Look at verse 7 and then uh, 8 and 9. The voice of the Lord divides the flames of fire. Verse 8. The voice of the Lord shakes the wilderness. The Lord shaketh the wilderness of Kadesh. That's where Israel is now. Verse 9. The voice of the Lord maketh the hinds to calf. That's again, the deer are running. 
he discovereth the forest. What does that mean? The lightning lights it up at night and you can see everything. Do y'all know what I'm talking about? He exposes the forest and his and in his temple doth everyone speak of his what? God is glorious in all that he does. See, we don't we don't give the attribution of this world to Mother Nature. We give it to Father God. All right. Now, Mother Nature may have her job instrumentally, but God Almighty is the creator and sustainer and upholder of this universe. All right. It's very important for you to see it. And this is what Israel was dealing with. Job chapter 37, verse 1 through 5. Job will say the same thing. Now, Job is like Abraham, the oldest, oldest prophet in the scriptures. He goes way back to the days of Abraham. Listen to what Job says. At this, my heart trembled and is moved out of its place. Verse 2, we want to walk this through. He attentively, he attentively, he uh, hear attentively the noise of his voice and the sound that goeth out of his mouth. Now notice what Job is saying. Listen attentively to the noise of his voice. Now see, long ago before folks had GPS, that's what they had to do. Long ago before there were automobiles, that's what they had to do. Long ago before there were any kind of maps, atlas maps or what have you, you had to really pay attention to the way God spoke in creation. You had to be careful about weather patterns. You had to be careful about gathering clouds. You had to be careful about the way the wind blew. You had to be careful about the thunder and the lightning. All of that was intelligent for people that lived at the native level of the ground. Am I making sense? And most of y'all should know that. Hurry up and understand, we are really removed far away from our sensibility to the God of heaven and earth because of all this technology. We're more dumb now than we ever have been. Way more dumb now than we ever have been. Our kinfolk know way more about navigating this planet than we do. They can feel the sensibility of the ground moving and they can tell us when things are about to occur. They can tell by the way the wind blows or what's flying in the air. They can tell by the leaves. They can tell by the movement of the trees. So much of God's intelligible speech are known by common native people on the ground than you and I know. This is why Job is saying you better listen to him. Verse three, verse three. He directed it under the whole of heaven and his lightning unto the end of the earth. See it? He's talking about how God governs the earth. Verse four. After it, a voice roared. Now, isn't that true? The lightning flashes, that's verse three. After it, the voice what? Roareth. Is that true? You, you, get this, you get this lightning flash and then you get what? <laughs> Has anybody grown up in the country like me? Y'all know what I'm talking about, right? Once that lightning flash, you better hold on. Right? Right? Especially if you live in the old shanty, uh, you know, little shanty towns where things can blow over and fall out, fall down real quick. Lightning strike it, it's over with. It roareth. Uh, after it, a voice roars. He thundereth with the voice of his excellency and he will not stay them when his voice is heard. I think one more verse is all I want to do here. God thundereth marvelously with his voice. Great things doeth he which we cannot what? We're still in that place today, no matter how smart men are trying to be. As long as we excise God from the equation, we are deceiving ourselves. I'm giving you that to help you understand why I am totally in agreement with 1.3 to 4 million people that says we don't want to hear from God again. Did y'all get what I just stated? 
I'm totally with them. They couldn't endure his voice. That's what the Hebrew writer said. They couldn't endure his voice. It's powerful language. They couldn't endure his voice. Again, I need you to see that before we go on. In Hebrews chapter 12, verse 19, they couldn't endure his voice. And the writer also is going to give us a little insight into what that means that I want you to capture. Here it is. He says, in the sound of the trumpet blowing and the voice of words, again, nobody was talking on that day but who? God. Which voice they that heard entreated that the word should not be spoken to them anymore. And so God obliged them. He never spoke to them again like that. Y'all got that? Look at the next verse. For they could not endure that which was commanded. See it? They couldn't endure it. And if so much as a beast touched the mountain, it should be stoned or thrust through with a dart. God was serious on that day, was he not? God was serious on that day. And the children of Israel learned something about God, that God is holy and God is not to be messed with. And they finally told Moses, that's enough. That this is enough. We don't need to hear any more commandments from God. We'll hear from you. They could not endure the word. They could not endure the word. Literally, in the grammar, what that means is they couldn't handle the way the statements were coming. I am the Lord your God, which brought you out the house of bondage. I brought you out of Egypt, out of the house of bondage. You shall have no other God before me. Slow down. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make any graven image of anything above or anything in the earth or anything under the earth. You shall not bow down yourself to worship or serve them. And then he began to utter the other enumerations very clearly. You shall not take the name of the Lord in vain. You shall honor the Sabbath day. You shall love your mother and your father. You shall not commit murder. You shall not steal. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not covet, lust after, greedily desire, scheme or plan from a wicked heart to take anything that is your neighbor's, his wife, his house, his ox, his ass, nothing shall you look upon that is not yours. And stop, Moses, stop. That's it. We don't want to hear anymore. Am I helping you? That's where they stopped. They said, no, no. And see, that list right there, that enumeration, would send all of us to hell right now. Yeah, I know you're thinking you're not as bad as the Hebrew people, but let me let, you, let your mediating pastor help you. You are. Let your mediating pastor help you. You are. 
you violated it at the first command. Idolatry. Now, am I making some sense? Right. See, I get them. This is why in our outline, this is the way that I kind of put it. It's an amazing thing. I'm under point number three for time's sake. The insistence on a mediator made sense to me. It made sense to me. An insistence on a mediator made sense to me. Again, looking at verse 19, and they said unto Moses, Moses, you speak with us. We know you. We can endure your voice. We can put up with you. Moses, your voice is nowhere near as loud as God. Plus, Moses, we can kill you if we want to. See, they've already done three months with Moses, have they not? And all Moses ever did, you're getting ready to learn something, I'm going to spend the rest of this time talking about mediation. All Moses ever did was try to do what God said and get them to do what God said. That's all he ever tried to do. And they, they, they realize now they were wrong over and over and over again with Moses, and Moses is still there. See what I'm getting at? See, what they are recognizing now is they need a mediator. See, what they are also recognizing is they don't have the intrinsic qualification to draw near to God. Makes sense to me. Makes sense to me. Makes sense to me. See, what these people are admitting, Nairobi, is that they're sinners. They're sinners. And the Bible is very clear that God shall shake out all sinners from Jerusalem and Zion. Right. That puts us in a predicament, doesn't it? If God's going to shake out all sinners from Zion and Jerusalem and I'm a sinner, I'm doomed without a mediator. See what I'm getting at? Moses, you talk with us. It looks like God will allow you to talk with us. And if you talk with us, I think we'll do fine. Good job. Good job. See, and this is the reason why God did it, because he'll tell you in Exodus chapter 20, the reason why he did it was to test Israel, to prove them. To, to show them who he was and the appropriateness of them standing back and requesting a mediator to stand between them and God makes all the sense in the world to me. In fact, as I told you, as we get ready to unpack this, from the beginning of time, mankind has always needed a mediator. See, when God was fellowshipping in the person of Christ with Adam and Eve, here comes the snake. And he helps create a problem, a wedge between God and them, right? And immediately upon them eating of the fruit, they hear the voice of the Lord calling. What do they do? They run and hide like fugitives. Now they're in the same place, are they not? They're in the same place where they cannot handle or endure the straight word. We heard your voice and we were afraid. And what does God do for them? He gives them a mediator. He covers their nakedness, clothes them with coats of skin, sheds the blood of a lamb, and sends them down the road. And from that point on, God has used mediators. He's used mediators. He had to do it with his kids. Cain and Abel needed the mediation of mom and dad, who were leaders in worship. Cain kills his brother Abel, and God lets Cain live. Next thing you know, chapter four, men are calling upon the name of the Lord. And one of the primary mediators in that early era was prophets like Enoch and Lamech and, Dan, uh, and, and Noah. They were all prophets because they were speaking in the behalf of God. God was not talking to them. Am I making some sense? 
And here it is, the children of Israel made it very clear, let us not speak with God lest we die. Subpoint A, their weakness led to their withdrawal. Does that make sense? Their weakness led to their withdrawal. God's talking to them and they say, oh, stop. It reminds me of John chapter 8, verse 6. Full that up. Remember that morning Jesus was teaching Sunday school? This is John chapter 8. And, uh, and the Pharisees who were always trying to catch Jesus in a lie, because they were just like the rulers of Israel in that day. They didn't see his glory. They brought a woman in the midst who was taken in the uh, act of adultery. Y'all remember that? Never did bring the fella in. Right. So so this is the kangaroo court from the beginning. Right. Because you, you, you can't bring in the abuse and not bring in the perpetrator of the abuse. But this goes to show you what we're dealing with today with all this woke doctrine. OK. This they said, tempting him that they might have to accuse him. But Jesus did what? He stooped down with his finger like he did with Moses as Moses went up to the top of the mount because Jesus wrote the Ten Commandments on two stone tables and gave them to Moses to give to the people. Now, Jesus is writing because Jesus is God's word. Jesus knows Torah. Jesus is obeying the Father. Now, these rulers, they started looking down on what Jesus is writing, and the text says, you shall not commit adultery. You shall not covet your neighbor's house. And you know what the text shows us in John chapter 8? They all did like religious folk do. Raise their heads, start walking away. They all start walking away. You know, I'm, I'm out of here. Excuse me. Excuse me. Because all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Whenever the law of God exposes you, unless you are Jesus, it will spy you out and show you to be a sinner for what you are by nature. And I love it because I'm sharing with you how that Jesus now is representing what Moses did then, mediating for a woman who was in trouble under the law. Do you see it? Do you see it? Do you see it? Yes. They ran down that mountain, scattered and said, Moses, you preach, bro, you preach. Subpoint B in our third point, the request for a mediator was wise. I can tell you now, I'm going to make, uh, deal with two, two, sub, two other subpoints here. This was what Moses was called to. Think about it. Moses gets called from the backside of the mountain, and God tells him, I need you to go deliver my people, didn't he? What is God doing? He's using a mediator. He's using a mediator. So now what Mo- Moses is in some good shape to be 80 years old. He's running up to Egypt, running back to the desert, running up to Egypt, running back. This goes on a whole year. God tells Moses, go tell Pharaoh. Y'all got that? Listen to me. God never spoke to Pharaoh. God has nothing to say to the wicked. He has nothing to say to the guilty sinner. If you're going to hear from God, you're going to hear from God through his prophetic word. The way men come to know God is through the word. God uses a mediator. Moses, go tell him, I'm going to take him out in one year. God after God after God after God after God after God. And do you guys remember? Moses went up and Pharaoh said, who is the Lord? Moses says, I knew you were going to say that. Go back down to here. What you going to do, God? And he goes back and he tells Pharaoh what he's going to do. And God does it, does he? Kill up every one of the gods of Egypt and then finally kills Pharaoh's son. And I share with you one beautiful insight because I could go on a long time about the doctrine of mediation. 
Even Pharaoh benefited from the fact that God didn't talk to him directly. Because after a while, as God was whooping that tail, and he was whooping that tail for seven, eight, nine months, just whooping that tail. I mean, straight up whooping that tail. Was he? Bank account tow up, fish stinking, frogs all in the house, cattle withered, whipping that tail, just straight up whipping that tail. Exodus chapter 9, verse 23. Listen to it. Exodus 9, 23. Listen to what the text says. This is about the lease. Uh, and Moses stretched forth the rod towards heaven. This is the time when he's sending thunder and hail. And the fire ran along the ground and the Lord rained hail upon the land of Egypt. By the way, do you, can you imagine the thunder and the storms and the clouds and all that? Israel now is experiencing that same thing. So they're being reminded that the God that they're dealing with now is the God that was dealing with Pharaoh. Y'all got that? Israel is dealing with the clouds and the thunder and all that. They should have hurried up and remember, oh, Lord, do y'all remember what he did to Pharaoh that day? Now, God protected Goshen because he was letting them know when you're my elect, I will protect you from the judgment of the wrath upon your soul. And notice, and the Lord rained hell upon the ground of Egypt. Verse 24. Watch it. So there was hail and fire mingled with the hail, very grievous, such as there was none like it in all the land of Egypt since it became a nation. Verse 25, I want to roll it through the narrative. And the hail smote throughout all the land of Egypt, all that was in the field, both man and beast. And the hail smote every herb of the field and break every tree of the field. Was God getting down that day or what? Tearing it all up. Now look at the next verse. Here it is. Only in the land of Goshen, where the children of Israel was, there was no hell. Does God know how to separate the righteous from the wicked? Verse 27. (laughs) And Pharaoh sent and called for Moses and Aaron and said unto them, I have sinned. I have sinned. This is Jimmy Swaggart. I have sinned this time. Watch this. The Lord is righteous. The Lord is righteous, and I and my people are wicked. Sounds good, doesn't it? That's your TBN. That's all your fake religious media on TV. Fake. You hear it all the time. Fake. Like, listen, listen, ladies and gentlemen. If you and I really are perpetrators of false religion, we can cry crocodile tears in front of the camera. We can make everybody want to send in more money because we're pretending to repent. But all we're doing is actually wanting you to fill our coffers up with your tears in exchange for money. Did y'all hear what I just said? Listen very carefully. When God's dealing with your tail, he does not mean for you to go public with it. He doesn't want you to tell the world how bad you are, how sinful you are, how wrong you are. You take it to God in your closet and work it out with God alone. You don't need man's approval and you don't need his disapproval. All of that is a scam and religious television so y'all can get off the money and give it to them. They know how to pull the emotional coat strings of shallow-minded religious folk. Am I making some sense? He's talking to Moses. He's not talking to God. Did y'all hear what I just stated? What that means is he doesn't really mean to repent. But Moses is getting ready to demonstrate the kind of human media meteor model that you and I need to have. Notice what the text goes on to say. Verse 28. Let's keep it rolling. Entreat the Lord, for it is enough that there be no more mighty thundering in hell. Stop it, Lord. Stop it, please. 
and I will let you go. You're going to let him go, Pharaoh, anyway. I promise you, you're going to let him go. And you shall stay no longer. You hear what Pharaoh's saying? Look at verse 29. And Moses said unto him, as soon as I'm gone out of the city, I will spread abroad my hands unto the Lord and the thunder shall cease. Neither shall there be any more hell that you may know how that the earth is the Lord. Woo! That's called mediation. That's when God's servant knows the true and the living God. He speaks to the pagan rulers to let the pagan rulers know you don't attribute creation or the maintenance of creation to any other God but the one true and living God. Do you see it? What I want you to capture as I move on is how Moses is already learning how to mediate. Even for wicked men. Mediation is a gracious act of God to those of us who don't deserve it. Mediation is a gracious act of a holy God to those of us who don't deserve it. Pharaoh got to live another day because for a moment, even though it was superficial, he entreated God to stop. Now, God has done that with a lot of people. He's heard their superficial cries. Y'all keeping up with me? And he knew it didn't have any lasting efficacy. He knew as soon as he would relieve them from that initial conflict, burden, trial, difficulty, off they go running back into the same madness. So Pharaoh ultimately still ends up in the river, doesn't he? But God is showing us how that mediation is a gracious act from a loving God. This is so true. Exodus chapter 32, verse 30. I'm going to run through two or three verses to establish that. If you don't know, once Moses leaves Pharaoh, uh, Egypt is destroyed. Moses is going up and down the mountain talking to God all the time for Israel. I, t- I showed you guys this in Numbers chapter 11, verse 1, 2, and 3 the other day, didn't I? God told Moses, man, these people are acting such fools. Let me wipe them out and start all over with you again. Y'all remember that? Well, I told you love is never, condition- never uh, unconditional. Here it is again, Exodus 32, 30. This is the point where they have built the golden calf. And it came to pass on the mall that Moses said unto the people, you have sinned a great sin. And now I will what? Go up unto the Lord. What is he talking about doing? Mediating. Mediating. See, they got the, they did the right thing back in chapter 20, didn't they? Because they knew they were going to continue rebelling and sinning against God. Listen to it. And now I'll go up to the Lord. Peradventure, I shall make an atonement for your sin. Whoa! Moses is a great type of our Lord Jesus in that the only answer to sin is atonement. Look at the next verse. Verse 31, if it's there. Um, 32, 31. And Moses returned unto the Lord and said, Oh, this people have sinned a great sin and have made them gods of gold like Moses, like God didn't know. But that's what a mediator is. Let me drill it home, because this is extremely important. That's what a mediator is. Under subpoint B, their request for a mediator was what? It was wise. It was wise. It was absolutely wise. See, what subpoint C tells us is they both failed and passed the test. They failed back in Exodus 19, 8, 8 and 9, in that they couldn't endure that word 
that was just so tremendous, but it indicated their weakness and their inability to be where Moses was because Moses endured it. Moses didn't run. He trembled, but he didn't run. Why? Because blessed is the man whom the Lord chooses and causes him to draw near to God. When God is when God is calling you to draw near to him, God is going to qualify you to draw near by giving you a mediation that allows you to be in the presence of God without being destroyed. And again, I'm telling you, we'll develop this. Moses is in direct fellowship with Jesus. This is not the father. This is the son. Exodus chapter 33. Um, Exodus chapter 33. I want you to see this for yourself. Um, We can start at verse Exodus 33, verse 20. Exodus 33, 20. This is Moses dealing with this again in Exodus 33, 20. This is what God. So let let me see. Go back to um, verse 19. This is what God says. And he said, I will make all my goodness pass before you and I will proclaim the name of the Lord before you and I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious and I will show mercy on whom I will what? Show mercy. This is this is where Moses has asked to see God's glory because God has already destroyed now 25,000 of the Hebrew people because of that golden calf. Now, notice what God says. I will make my goodness pass before you. I will proclaim the name of the Lord before you and I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious and show mercy on whom I will show mercy. Does God have a right to be that way? Does he have a right to show mercy to whom he wants to? Does he have a right not to show mercy? Right, because otherwise mercy is not mercy. If God owes you mercy, it's not mercy. Now, what is God doing? He's conditioning Moses to see his backside, but not his what? His face. Now, who's going to come down but Jesus? And earlier in the chapter, it made it very clear that Moses talked to God as a man talks face to face. Y'all remember that? And so we know that Moses is not seeing Jesus's literal face, but he's hearing his literal voice because he's in his literal presence. But the glory of Jesus is so broad and so full that Moses cannot look at him face to face. And Christ forbid that. Right. It's important for you to know that. So when we hear the term panim face to face is not meaning a literal face to face. It means the fellowship that is not mediated by some other mechanism. Moses is sitting there in the presence of the Lord Jesus. And if I can help you capture this optic briefly, Jesus is there in his unmediated glory. He is not in a human nature. This is the pre-incarnate son of God. Are you guys hearing me? Which means his face is not going to be comprehended because it's not incarnated. There's no face to see in an non-incarnated state. All you see is a a sort of body there in its glory, in its fullness. And that's, he's a person like the father is and like the uh, spirit is, but he's there in a way in which Moses cannot see a physical face with details. The glory is too full. How do we know that? Because Moses will come off the mount and he too will have such glory on his face that he'll have to put a veil on it in order to engage the children of Israel. Y'all keeping up with me. This is how you don't allow the scriptures to contradict themselves. Earlier in the chapter, Moses is talking face to face all through the Bible. No man can see God's face and live. 
So here we have the account where Moses is being given conditions upon which he can actually get a closer glimpse of the Lord Jesus as he passes by. And that's what he's asking for here in this chapter. Again, verse 20, look at verse 20. And he said, you cannot see my face for there shall no man see my face and live. So Moses is going to put up with fellowshipping with the master without seeing his face because none of us can because we're not qualified yet. I don't even know what glory is going to be like in that regard. I'm disciplined enough to know that you and I are dealing with anthropomorphical terminology that doesn't even allow us to begin to think through fully what those implications are. Okay, many of us know that when Jesus comes and we return and go to him, we're going to be glorified. Is that right? But that's, it doesn't mean we're going to become God. Farther from the truth, we will be qualified to enter into the ineffable bliss, but it doesn't mean we will, we will see Jesus and we will see him as he is because we will be like him. That's the promise of God. Do you believe that? So whatever Jesus is in his glorified state, none of us know now. Even the disciples didn't see it. They saw him in his resurrected incarnate state, not in his glorified state. What we must capture from what I'm saying as we get ready to close is the Bible is clear. We all need a mediator. And God has given us one mediator, not two, not ten. Some of us get to occupy the blessed gift of mediation, and I want you to capture that. But we are not the ultimate mediator. The ultimate mediator is his son, Jesus, the one mediator between God and man. That's what the Hebrew writer said in Hebrews 12, right? And unto Jesus, the mediator of the new covenant. We have come to that Mount Zion. Jesus is our mediator. This allows us to fellowship with God. But what are the grounds upon which Jesus' mediation made that to be the case? Jesus had to assume a human nature. He had to become one just like us. This is the way Job puts it in the book of Job. I need a daysman between me and God. Someone that's like me and someone that's like God. That's what a daysman is, okay? That's Job chapter 9, verse 33. A daysman is someone who can represent God and one who can represent man. Now, I only know, know one person in the universe that fits that description. His name is Jesus. He is the God man, the mediator between us and God. I want to persuade you that you need that mediator. I don't care who you are. You need someone who knows God well enough to speak for God to you. You need someone who knows you well enough to speak to God for you. You need somebody that can lay his hand on God and not be consumed and lay his hands on you and you not be consumed. You need somebody who can stand in the gap, having already put away your sins so that he can speak to you on your behalf through his merits. You need a mediator like Moses was doing and like Job is speaking to. Job says, verse, give me verse 32. I want to walk this out and close right here. Verse 32. For he is not a man as I am. He's talking about God. Is that true? God's not a man like us. That I should what? Answer him. And we should come together in judgment. Do you see that? Now we tell men and women every now and then when we get bold enough, it is appointed unto men once to die 
And after this, the what? You're going to face God. You're going to face God. He says, for he is not a man as I am that I should answer him. Although Job wanted to talk to God, did he not? That we should come together in judgment. Like there are people who talk like that. You do hear them every now and then. Just pray for them because their computer is spinning. If I could talk to God, I would tell God this. I would tell God that. I would tell God this. I would tell God that. Tell them to read Exodus chapter 20. Right? If you can get past the thunder clouds and the, and the lightning and the smoke, then maybe you can talk to God. But there was 1.4 million people that said, no, I don't think we want to talk to God. I'd rather have a mediator between me and God. This is what Job is talking about. Now, Job is a saved person, but at this time, it's hard for him to see what God is doing. Have you been there? Job's is as saved as anybody's going to be, but right now it's hard for Job to see God. Look at what he says, verse 33. Neither is there a daysman between us that he might lay his hand on us both. See it? Verse 34. Let him take his rod away from me and let not his fear terrify me. Verse 35. Then would I speak and not fear him, but it is not so with me. You see what Job is doing? Job is struggling with the reality that God is letting him go through some kind of hell that he can't figure out. Then he got three stupid friends that keeps heaping on him all kind of accusations, and they were all wrong. And Job is so upset because Job has been praying, he's been seeking God, he's been calling on God, and God is not answering him. And so where Job is right here, this is where we're going to close. Job is saying, I need a mediator. I need a mediator because I feel like I'm not being heard. Now, children of God, that's the other blessed thing of having a mediator. He ever lives to make intercession for us. When you have a mediator, you can trust that Jesus talks to the father when you can't. And when you don't sense that you have access to God, know that the father is always accepting the son. Also, what I love about verse 34, Job says, I need some conditions met for me to talk to God. Look at it in verse 34. Let him take away his rod from me. Well, that's what happened in the person of Jesus. The rod of God's curse was on us as sinners. And God took that rod and put it on Christ. Do you see it? Right. See, lost sinners don't know this. We who are saved know this. God laid on him the iniquity of us all. And by his stripes, we're healed. That's what we know. That's what we know. Let him take his rod away from me and let me let not his fear do what? God speaks peace to us in Christ because he made peace between us in Christ. Christ is the peace of the believer. Jesus says, my peace I give unto you, not as the world give unto you, give I unto you. The peace that God gives us in Christ is a peace that is a result of God's taking our sins and putting them on Christ and Christ dying under the wrath of God and God setting us free in the person of his son, Jesus, so that Christ's righteousness becomes our righteousness and we are the very righteousness of God in him. Is that good news or what? 
Our peace is not the consequence of our feeling. It's the consequence of a fact, of an act accomplished 2,000 years ago on the behalf of many of us who trust God by a mediator named Jesus the Christ. And because of that, he will never leave us nor forsake us, though he will discipline us and correct us. We don't have to ever worry about being rejected by God again. I don't know if you know how good that news is. I don't know if you know how good that news is. God makes us approachable to to him through Jesus Christ. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes unto the Father but by me. Now, what I want you to appreciate as we close with Moses. Moses is going to be running up and down this mountain on the behalf of these crazy people for 40 years. Did you hear me? I see the big picture for 40 years. It's going to be in the book of Deuteronomy, chapter 31, where God is going to say to Moses, all right, Moses, it's time for you to go home. They're going to be up on the brink of the promised land. Y'all remember that. And here's what God is going to say. Moses, it's time for you to die. You've done your job. You brought them to the brink. 40 years. He says, Now, when you die, Moses, let me tell you what these crazy people are going to do. As soon as you die, they're going to abandon me. They're going to engage in the very idolatry and adultery and all of the the stuff that I told them not to do, they're going to do. But Moses, you did your job. You got those people to the promised land. Now, Joshua is going to take over from where you are. So God is going to continue the process of what? Mediation to get them across the River Jordan into their promise, is he not? Now, Joshua is a great type of Jesus, right? Yeshua, the Lord is our Savior. Joshua's going to get him in. And the message for you and me is we're, well, we're making our way through the wilderness right now. And some of us is just as crazy and stupid and sinful as the children of Israel. It's really true. And every day that you and I live in our right mind and in our sound thinking and in a heart that can still contemplate God's goodness, God's been merciful to you. And the only reason that you and I are not destroyed is because we have a mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus. Am I making some sense? And should you die, With this mediator on your side, you will cross the River Jordan into the promised land of glory. And when you get there, you will make it plain to Peter and Paul and Ananias and all of those folks who actually made it in. I'm not here by my good works. And I'm not here by my efforts. I'm not here because of my wisdom or my might. I'm only here because of a mediator. That mediator is the way, the truth, and the life. And no one will ever get to the Father but by him. Amen. Amen. Amen.